Hello and welcome to the 30th episode of the CCGI podcast. Our last episode featured Dr. Dimitri Asimakopoulos. We discussed Dr. Dimitri's work with the Toronto Rehabilitation Institute, his chronic pain workshops, and how he stays on top of recent research. Today, we have the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Scott Dunham. Dr. Scott Dunham is the Director of Curriculum and Faculty Development at the Canadian Memorial Chiropractic College. After graduating in 2006, Dr. Dunham established a multidisciplinary clinic in Toronto while also teaching courses at CMCC in rehabilitation and clinical education. Five years as a clinician within CMCC's teaching clinics led to a move into administration and retirement from private practice. In addition to his doctor of chiropractic, Dr. Dunham obtained a Master of Science in Rehabilitation and then a Master's in Education. Dr. Dunham has competed internationally for Rugby Canada, volunteered extensively with the MS Society of Canada, and presented at various international conferences. But he considers his two young daughters his greatest achievement, aside from his beard. <laughs> welcome, to, welcome to the show, Scott. <laughs> Thanks very much, Kent. The, the beard was an ad-lib, I think, right, Kent? <laughs> that was an ad-lib, but it is a great beard. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you very much. All right, so Scott, what, uh, is there anything further you can tell us about yourself and, and what you do at CMCC these days? Uh, yeah, a lot of people around here actually ask what I do here at this place. Um, as you mentioned, my uh, title is Director of uh, Curriculum and Faculty Development, and that's uh, that's quite a mouthful. But if I was to summarize exactly what I did, I, I basically I oversee the curriculum as a whole, looking at all four years in our grad studies programs and kind of look at how the pieces go together. We look at new innovations, new pieces of curriculum that we want to implement. Uh, we look at the quality sure processes of, of how we're doing and another uh, side of my work is the faculty development side as well so we put on faculty development sessions we try to uh, train our faculty to become exceptional teachers providing uh, educational resources for them to do their job best so I kind of look at the curriculum as a whole and when you think about the curriculum at CMCC uh, both of you guys have come through it in, in various forms it's kind of like a big mess of Lego blocks and my job as a director of curriculum development is seeing how all those little Lego blocks fit together. So if you assume the Lego blocks are pieces of information or, in fact, actual courses, how do they best align and how do they go together? And how can students, you know, through their four years, piece their structure together so that it resembles something useful at the end of it? that is useful to them personally, but useful to them as well as a practicing doctor at chiropractic. And it's kind of a, a new model of pedagogy where you know students, especially adult learners, are coming to our school with various experiences, various backgrounds, and they're learning material in a way that kind of makes sense to them. So we're not prescribing necessarily the uh, specifics on how and what they're supposed to be learning, but they're learning information in a clinical context and putting the pieces together as they go through our through our four-year program and as director director of curriculum faculty development my job is to to make sure those pieces are the right pieces and to make sure those pieces are laid out for the students so that they can put them together uh, in something that makes sense to them uh, so yeah that's basically what i do I'm sure there's a drastic difference between how you approach um, curriculum development in first years and, and fourth years and, and, and just that, that you know, <laughs> that transition through the program too. Yeah, we, we look at it from many angles. Uh, we try to impart 
clinical experiences as early on as possible uh, so that students understand the why they're learning certain things, not just the what of, of what they're learning. Um, we're trying to, uh, much like uh, med schools and other health programs, pushing the clinical experiences and pushing the clinical context earlier on in the curriculum. Uh, and also respecting the fact that people learn at different paces and, and, and different styles as well as they go through the program too. So um, yeah, we have to lay out and, and, and layer on the complexity uh, as they go through the four years. Uh, but we also have to at times you know, get our students out of their comfort zone and learning information that may seem a bit over their heads at times, knowing that those pieces are eventually going to fall into place and, uh, and, and result in a well-rounded and comprehensive education. Well, and Kent's now we're wondering, I mean, how, how you integrate evidence into the curriculum, it seems to see, and, and, and also, I mean, what does it really take to develop curriculum? Uh, myself, as someone who's never um, been a teacher, uh, I don't really know what goes into that. So maybe you could share that with our audience. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of our students think that we have a big dartboard in, the, in a back room and we're just throwing darts uh, arbitrarily at it <laughs> to determine when, when and what we're going to teach. But it is a, it is a rigorous process. Uh, we have many feedback loops and, and, and continuous review processes that take place uh, th throughout the curriculum to make sure that what we're teaching is up to date and is appropriate and that we are laying on the complexity and, and ordering things properly. We have numerous feedback mechanisms from our students uh, in terms of course evaluations. Uh, we solicit input from our faculty quite often. And then we have, uh, as you're aware, accreditation processes, both from the uh, chiropractic perspective and from the degree granting perspective through the ministry. In terms of our internal processes, we're always looking at the curriculum, reviewing and updating material, and we rely on our, our, our amazing faculty to, to do this as well. Uh, our course coordinators have a lot of autonomy with their courses, and they are uh, encouraged and supported to be continuing to evolve and continuing to update the curriculum that they're, that they're teaching on, 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 a, uh, on the course-based scale. We also have chairs of departments who take on leadership roles looking at, uh, at, at, at their departments in terms of content experts. Uh, we have year directors who uh, ensure that the, the, the workloads and the assessments and, and the curriculum makes sense for their particular years. And, and then myself who kind of gets a, a bird's eye view of the curriculum um, to make sure that it's also serving the needs. In, in terms of integrating evidence, we're always trying to integrate the, the latest evidence back into, into the curriculum, but also preparing our students for an ever-changing uh, landscape um, for chiropractic practice. So things like an increase in scope of practice, we have to then adapt with the curriculum quite, uh, quite, quite speedily. Uh, we also have to ensure that our, our students are equipped to practice. There's not a huge range of uh, or changes in scope of practice across this country, but uh, our end product, our students, uh, our chiropractors, um, need to be equipped with all the, the knowledge and skills to be able to practice successfully in, in all the provinces and territories uh, here in Canada. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're blessed as an institution in that we are not just great consumers of, of research, but we also do a lot of in-house creation of research, either through CMCC 
ourselves, but also with our relationships with the uh, UOIT um, Center for Disability, uh, University of Toronto, University of Southern Denmark, a, a number of chiropractic um, friendly institutions uh, that we've forged relationships and memorandums of, of understanding over the years. So we're able to get that, that newest evidence back into the curriculum as, uh, in a much faster way than other institutions may be able to. Uh, I'm not sure what the, the most up-to-date uh, uh, number is, but the number I'm familiar with with regards to the research to practice gap is about 17 years for um, new research to make its way back into the practice of a health professional. Now, the schools are usually a bit shorter than that. I've seen estimates from seven to 10 years of getting new evidence back into curriculums. I'd say we can we shorten that to even less to, you know, one or two years because a lot of the research that uh, is being done chiropractic wise is being done at CMCC or through our partners. So we're able to get that research back into the curriculum to ensure that each graduating class is graduating with the, the most up to date knowledge available at the time. And I know we see that issue with uh, with research and also with with guidelines themselves. And that, for example, a 2014 guideline will be looking at reviews, you know, maybe from 2009 to 2013. And by the time this gets out to the masses, it's it's several years down the road. And so it's quite a delay in information that's that's uh, captured. And and so, have you found that clinical practice guidelines have made this process easier? Obviously, we're a bit biased being. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the CCGI, but but yeah, I mean, has that been something that's uh, played into to uh, the work you do? Yeah, I mean the uh, the knowledge translation field is is ever evolving and it's it's uh, infuriatingly slow sometimes, but um, definitely the. Uh, uh, this, our students today have it um, a lot easier than than, than we did, uh, you know, a, a decade, decade and a half ago, um, in terms of the research available to them, but the guidelines available to them as well, where experts are procuring some of the uh, the best available evidence out there. So students can feel confident going to sources like CCGI and Optima and, and, and ensuring that, that those guidelines were done the proper way and they can put those guidelines directly into practice in terms of management of, of patients. Um, you know, again, from a, a decade and a half ago, we would have to go and find individual pieces of research, look at them critically ourselves, and then determine whether or not we would uh, apply that to a particular scenario. Now, with so much research being done and uh, organizations like CCGI being able to to put it into uh, context and usable pieces, bits of information, our students and, and our new graduates uh, really do have it uh, a, a lot easier of having the information at their fingertips to apply to their clinical decision making and, and clinical management. So um, yeah, it's it's um, clinical practice guidelines have made this easier. I'm not just saying that because I'm on your podcast, but um, <laughs> we do see our students uh, in, in clinics using them uh, quite regularly. We see them being infiltrated through various subject areas, and we 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 see our students being, um, I'd say, better consumers of, of research uh, than than those of us who probably graduated a, a decade or so ago. Um, we still have students doing original research, and this one thing I wanted to, to mention is that um, our, our research methods and our, and our curriculum is really geared towards developing critical users of research, not necessarily developing researchers. 
And I think that's an important distinction to be made. We, we still have our student researchers and we still support and give them all, all the supports and help that they require. Uh, we give some awards and, 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 and student uh, uh, summer positions and whatnot for, so that they can do original research. But we realize that the majority of our students, we just want to create really, really skeptical and curious and humble practitioners who are going to have the skills to go to the research when they don't know something and to apply that research to uh, their chiropractic practice and the treatment of patients. So um, the entire curriculum is kind of geared towards that in, in, in creating a savvy consumer of research, um, not necessarily a researcher per se. I know when we spoke with uh, Tony Tibbles on the podcast, he echoed some similar um, similar sentiments in that you know the, the, there's so much information it's, it's how do we ensure that we can be educated consumers and, and like you said critically appraise um, the research we find so that we can uh, determine whether it's you know uh, acceptable quality for use in our practice or with our patients and, and that is, is teaching us a, a skill uh, that can be translated for years down the line right yeah, and, and, and we start them off early. Um, you know, we, we give them a, a research methods course right off the bat when they get here. And even within that first year, they're having to go to the research to a answer clinical questions. Uh, we provide some integrative experiences like Grand Rounds where they can witness a um, practicing chiropractor assessing a patient, but then also going to the research to usually to, to the guidelines to decide how they're going to either further assess or treat this particular individual. So I think it's really important to get across to them that utilizing research isn't this onerous task that's gonna take hours upon hours to, to find something to apply to a patient. We display it in real time from our clinicians being able to find the appropriate research and apply it to, to the management of the patient. And to be honest, guidelines have made it that much easier to be able to do it. There, they, there really is no excuse nowadays to not utilize research as part of the clinical decision-making process. Um, we, we were also, um, I was curious, I mean, how you ensure students learn, implement the skills required to deliver patient-centered care. I mean, I... I was a student not that long ago, and, and uh, I remember the HPDs and OSCEs and, and Sim Labs. And for those who didn't go to CMCC, these are a lot of different <laughs> mouthfuls of acronyms. Yeah. But I was hoping you could maybe share with, with our listeners um, you know, the different ways in which you, you enhance the skills of these students and soon-to-be chiropractors uh, to deliver that patient-centered care. Yeah, sure. Um, a whole bunch of acronyms were just thrown <laughs> at, at you. Um, but... Uh, Basically, all these acronyms and all these experiences fall into the basket of what's called experiential learning. So experiential learning is not just pro us providing a unique experience for our, our students. It's the act of ha a student having an experience and then taking time to reflect on that experience so that they can then change or, or, or reaffirm what they were doing for future encounters. So um, basically they have an experience, they reflect on it either immediately afterwards or, or down the road, and they apply that, that information, the construction of that knowledge to future situations. And there's many ways that we, that we do this um, throughout our, our four years. Um, 
start at the I'll start at the end because fourth year is a, is a prime example of this. Their students are treating real patients under the guidance of a of a clinician, and and uh, uh, I, I lived in that area for five years as a supervising clinician. And the students treat real patients as part of their fourth year experience. And they reflect on their experiences after each treatment about what they did well, what they could improve on, what they should be doing differently. And oftentimes, as they're completing this feedback loop, they're also going to to the literature, going to the evidence to ensure that what they're doing for that patient and then what they're, they're providing for that patient is at the highest standards, realizing that uh, patient care encompasses um, uh, clinician experience as well as the patient uh, uh, patient perspective in addition to the, the research. Um, so clinic's a perfect example that we, we're really trying to get our, our interns to reflect back on their experiences, utilize the research, and continually be questioning themselves as to what they're, they're doing for a patient um, and, and, and in that respect. Um, other experiences that we have earlier on in the curriculum, uh, we use standardized patients, which are, are often actors or, or uh, sometimes real patients, uh, so to, uh, to best um, mimic complaints and mimic situations. And we do this through simulation exercises and various kinds of anxiety-provoking experiences for our students um, <laughs> so, that, so that they can have these experiences prior to getting into the clinic with real patients and, and real situations um, and basically prepare them best as, as they go along. Um, we also provide grand rounds where, where we have model clinicians assessing patients. You guys would have had that as, as well. We're really trying, we're rolling it out for, for all the, the years before clinic. Um, and we're also using that opportunity to try and um, also uh, reaffirm the links between the foundational sciences and the clinical sciences. We don't want our students thinking with their science brain one time and then with their clinical brain the next time. We want all the pieces to to go together as they're as they're putting this structure together as well. So, so grand rounds is another great opportunity where they can reflect on a model clinician and how they assessed a patient and how they acted and all those soft skills, uh, but also a way to tie together both the foundational and the clinical sciences as well. Um, one last one I'll touch on uh, before we go on is uh, we're rolling out for, for next year, actually actually this summer, our students will have the opportunity to, uh, to begin down this road. Um, our, our students in years one through three have traditionally done observations in our, our, our uh, uh, CMCC-run clinics um, as they go through the first three years of the program. It's important that they get in and, and get, get a feel for the, uh, the clinical experience, meet some patients, see how the interns operate, that sort of thing. This summer, we're, we're going to be uh, rolling out uh, external observations for our, our, our year two and three students where they'll be required to go and uh, visit a, a practice out in the real world and reflect on that experience as well. So there will be lots of uh, chiropractic students looking for a three-hour time slot to, uh, to, to head into chiropractic practices, but also looking to get our students out into other offices, medical doctor's offices, psychologists, physiotherapists, naturopaths, into other regulated health profession offices, again, adding to the, the our interprofessional education and seeing the real world landscape uh, prior, prior to getting out there uh, themselves and, um, and jumping into, the, into that world. 
And the hope is uh, at, from these experiences that they'll be able to reflect, they'll be able to learn, they'll be able to revisit their preconceived notions of other of other professions or the way they saw themselves wanting to practice. Um, and now this will just better prepare them for their clinical year as well as life um, outside of our walls as well. Wow, that's uh, that's great. I mean, seeing the the amount of attention and and detail that you guys are putting into to preparing students uh, to preparing students is is really impressive. And one of the other things that you know, for people who haven't been to CMCC previously or in in a few years, uh, there's been a real investment in educational technology. And some of the things are like the Panopto system and the the anatomage tables. What what can you tell us about you know how CMCC is really trying to incorporate technology into into the educational process and and some of the the new toys that you have? <laughs> it's funny you mentioned the word toys. Uh, some of our faculty do feel that some of these uh, investments in educational technologies are in fact just that toys. But uh, what we realize as well is that our new crop of learners, the twenty two to twenty six year olds that are coming through our program they learn a little bit differently and and not that they learn and that we have to rethink how we teach as a whole but we need to kind of meet them halfway in terms of the implementation of additional technologies additional pieces of hardware and software and different ways of get, getting their head around uh, uh, information um one of our most you know very successful advantages um happened about a year and a half ago with the introduction of Panopto, which is a lecture capture system. So we outfitted our two lecture halls with, with, with video cameras as well as audio recording capabilities. And we are now approaching, we're almost at 100% of our lectures being captured via the video camera and, and, and audio uh, recording. Um, what this means is that students, if they miss a class, they're able to, to watch the, the video and, and listen to it online as well as get the experience of whatever presentation materials the, the, the lecturer is putting up in, in class as well. Um, this system is quite unique in that uh, all, the, all the material is coded so it's searchable. So what we're seeing are students going into a particular lecture, not understanding a, one concept that was uh, talked about in class, keying in that word, and up will pop all the instances where that particular word or phrase showed up on the presentation materials, but also every time that lecturer said that term. So they're easily able to, while they're studying, go to go to a lecture, review that you know two, three minute clip, and then step back out of the lecture having learned that material or been refreshed with it. This has been uh, widely received by students and faculty got on board uh, at an amazing pace, uh, which uh, you know exceeded our expectations. And we're really proud that they they embrace this technology and that it's being used so effectively. Um, so we've I, I don't know how many hundred of thousand views <laughs> that have been done so far, but the students are absolutely eating this up. Uh, we haven't noticed the class attendance has dropped because of it. We're actually seeing with the statistics that students are doing just as I described, going into lectures for three or four minutes at a time to clarify a concept and then backing out of the lecture. So they're using it very strategically to um, and, and in advance of uh, exam time. You should see the uh, the spikes in usage we get right right before exams. So that's been widely, widely uh, um, used and, 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 and very well received in, in our curriculum. Um, 
what next to talk about? I could talk about educational technology for for uh, for hours here. Um, you mentioned the Anatomage unit. Um, CMCC was the first institution in Ontario to get one of these Anatomage units, uh, I believe, two years ago. And basically, what this is is a, uh, a six, seven foot long iPad, uh, which can digitally display uh, anatomical dissections. Um, the we actually just had training on Monday with uh, with someone from Anatomage uh, from down in California. Uh, you're able to manipulate the image, manipulate the body, uh, slice it apart, remove different things, basically do anything that you would normally do with a dissection, but virtually in this respect. Um, it gives the students another method of learning this material. Uh, it enables our faculty to display these images and, and reinforce three-dimensional concepts, um, both in the anatomy lab, and we just uh, received our second anatomage unit uh, within the lecture as well. So our faculty will now be able to display um, these vivid uh, three-dimensional images and, and uh, up on the screen and capture for the students' uh, students uh, enjoyment now i want to just clarify something this does not mean that we're getting away with the actual uh, anatomy cadaveric di dissections um, this is just adding another option uh, for our students um, and a, a different and i'd say you know very successful way of getting across three-dimensional concepts and and reinforcing the uh, the cadaveric dissections that our students continue to do um, and another educational technology that's being used um, quite extensively um, and, and continuing to increase in, in use um, is the use of iPads. So our students uh, now have the requirement to come into CMCC with uh, an iPad and we utilize those for, for taking their assessments, taking their, taking their exams. Through ExamSoft, they get uh, really robust feedback and, and in a more timely manner than those old uh, Scantrons that we used to fill in with HB pencils. Um, but these iPads also open up opportunities to utilize them in labs and small groups um, and even within the lecture environment. And, and a number of our faculty are doing really innovative things with the iPads in terms of polling our student audience, uh, doing little uh, quizzes for no marks. Uh, our students are utilizing apps um, rather than some of the, the old, bulky, expensive textbooks. Um, and we're exploring different ways to utilize this technology um, to better to better suit our, our, our students as well. So um, it's exciting. We, we definitely have uh, leadership here at, at the college that uh, are big proponents of educational technology and, and uh, you know, I, I, I feel blessed to work in a place that embraces these types of advances. And I, I think we're we're um, providing opportunities and, and we're providing options to our students to um, to best equip them to be successful in our program and uh, and, and with their careers. Well, so many clinicians are using iPads in, in clinic uh, with their patients for, for ed patient education. So it's really setting them up for, for success in that realm as well. Yeah, totally agree. Um, we're, our students in clinic aren't using them to interact with the electronic health records necessarily, but they're definitely, I've, I've witnessed, witnessed this quite a bit, they're definitely utilizing the iPad and various apps and, and programs and exercise recommendations. And heck, your, uh, your exercise guidelines <laughs> that, that you've come out with um, for uh, showing patients and the, the patient education side of things uh, in practice as well. And yeah, it's just becoming, uh, I mean, these students are coming in become very, very comfortable with technology to begin with. Um, 
so we need to embrace that and we need to teach them how to use it effectively and uh, for things like patient ed education as well. That's great. I mean, I, and uh, I mean, there, there's so many, <laughs> just a few short years, all, all these all these things have, have changed, uh, it seems, you see, since mm -hmm. I was there as well. It's exciting to hear that uh, so much is being done. Uh, and, and I know, um, uh, also, on a bit of a side note, you were, you were recently away uh, at ACRAC in Baltimore. And most most people probably don't know much about ACRAC, especially uh, clinicians or, or maybe students. But but maybe you could share with the listeners what that was and uh, what goes on there. Yeah, so that's a, another another acronym that people may not be. <laughs> so ACRAC stands for the Association of Chiropractic Colleges Research Agenda Conference, um, and was held this year in Baltimore after a few years in exotic locations like Washington and Las Vegas and. Fort Lauderdale, they settled on Baltimore. And basically, it's a meeting of all the uh, ACC uh, chiropractic colleges, uh, which are mostly American, uh, but CMCC and, and UQTR are members as well. Um, and it's a research conference. So uh, all the schools and, and, and uh, uh, presenters are presenting their, their research. Uh, they're putting on workshops. Uh, there are meetings in the day prior to the conference, which is why I went down there. Um, with, the, with the presidents, with the clinic directors, with the librarians, and I filled the role of chief academic officer on this occasion um, to discuss issues that are, are taking place uh, in the various colleges um, and to share best, uh, best experiences and, and, and uh, um, basically pool resources as well. Um, it was an interesting conference. I, I, I think a lot of people chose to go to uh, WFC, which is happening this week in Berlin. Uh, so Berlin kind of won out over Baltimore, I guess, for a lot of people. Um, but it, uh, it was still a great conference. Uh, lots of new and innovative things being researched and being displayed and being promoted uh, by the, the various institutions. Um, and what, what I really got out of it is that you know, if you look at the, the global education, you know, sphere, uh, chiropractic is really quite small. Um, and for all of us to survive and to flourish, not just survive, to flourish, um, we really do need to start sharing resources, sharing best practices, um, sharing failures. And conferences like this, WSC Education, other, other conferences really speaks to that and it really is a giving community where where the, the free exchange of ideas met a lot of contacts um, re-established a lot of contacts through going and basically the, the pooling of resources and and getting people together to help support each other so that we can best educate our our students regardless of what institution we're at is kind of the only way that we're going to stay uh, leaders in, in, in healthcare education. So um, that's why I got out of it. And, and like I said, most people were very forthcoming with, with, with ideas and, and sharing of resources. I have a, a whole pocket full of cards that I have to follow up with various people from down there, attended some great workshops on leadership um, and on assessments. And um, yeah, it was just a very, uh, very warm environment for sharing uh, one's own research, but also contributing to the, the the greater good in terms of chiropractic education. I guess for uh, for any of our listeners who might be interested, I believe the the ACRAC next year is supposed to be same time of year in March in San Diego. Is that still right? Yeah, we heard San, Di San Diego next year and then New Orleans the year after. It's not Baltimore, but... 
both uh, both cities that are definitely worth a visit uh, if you haven't been there. So. Yeah, that yeah. sounds like fun. Okay, do you mind if I ask one more question before you do wrap up, though? I think it'd be really interesting to know how how that transition was from clinician to now your your current role, and and how was that difficult to make that switch from being in private practice to being more in, in, in a role of a CMCC clinician to where you are now and what drove you there. And because that's a, that's a, it was a big, that's a big jump leaving private practice. I'd imagine scary for a lot of uh, clinicians. Yeah. I mean, people get into education for various reasons. So I, uh, like most students on graduation, I, uh, I, I, you know, crossed the stage and kept running uh, away from CMCC. Um, but serendipitously, uh, a couple months later, I got a call from, from, uh, CMCC asking, knowing that I was, I was in Toronto, uh, asking if I, I, I teach a small group course and, uh, kind of reluctantly, uh, jumped back in and uh turned out i loved it and and that kind of steamrolled into a couple more opportunities teaching and then lecturing uh i, I did my master's in rehab sciences which resulted in a clinician position for for five years of which uh you know gail and that's how, how we know each other um and then you know in in terms of looking at my 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 life as a whole with with some two young kids and 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 um uh, wanting a change and a new challenge, I started looking at various positions here at the college that I can make a bigger difference and that it could become a full-time role because uh, at that point in my life, I, I love both the clinic life and, and my role at CMCC. But if I was to pick one of the two to do full-time, it, it, was, it was definitely education. So I started my master's in education because I was, I was, I was keen in that area. Uh, and then opportunity um, arose to, to, to jump into administration and uh, I kind of haven't looked back. Yeah. So, you know, everyone finds their own way and, and new, different people here at the institution have found their way to education via different uh, different avenues. But I'd say everyone here is happy they've done so, um, have, are happy that they are uh, at a place that appreciates and supports uh, those who, who, who deliver the curriculum and that are, are supported and appreciated by our students. And it fulfills uh, us in a way that, that is similar but, uh, but different than, than the appreciation you get from patients uh, in, in private practice as well. So it's, uh, it's, it, it's unique, it's fun, there's tons of challenges. There's, if I could clone myself, there's tons of things that I would, I would uh, work on improving and changing, and, uh, but uh, it, it's incredibly rewarding because you do, you do really appreciate the fact that every year we're pushing out into uh, the chiropractic landscape the best equipped class and, and most highly educated class uh, yet. Uh, I, would, I would often tell my my interns when I was when I was a clinician that, you know, when you graduate in, in, in June, um, you will be the best educated you know, chiropractors around. Uh, and that's great. And you will for about a year. But then the next June, <laughs> the, the next class will come, come through and they'll be better than you. And the only way that we, you know, stay the leaders and chiropractic education and that we continue to improve and push the envelope is just appreciating the fact that, that you, you, you pay it forward by, um, improving, um, the class that's going to come after you. And I think with every year we see a different and better and more equipped 
graduate coming out of CMCC, and uh, and and that's what that's what keeps you motivated. That's what that's what keeps you working hard to 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 continue to adapt and evolve and improve the curriculum, um, knowing that each successive class is going to be just that much better. I actually have a problem with that statement because I actually think that chiropractic education reached its pinnacle in 2002. Um, you'll never recover from that. We, we, we actually refer to the class of 2002 as the, the, the mulligan. Or the mistake I've heard it labeled as. Uh, I, I don't know. That's just what I've heard. Yeah, they're still, uh, they're still trying to make up for us. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that probably wraps us up for today, uh, Scott. We want to really thank you for your time and for, for telling us your story and, and some of the goings on at CMCC right now. Um, it's great to have you here. And to our listeners, thanks for tuning in. We look forward to bringing you our next guest in a, in a couple of weeks. So uh, bye for now.